Well, good morning. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. Continue our study in Mark, Gospel of Mark this morning. Before we begin, let's bow together in prayer. Seek the Lord's blessing. Our great God, our holy, sovereign, and merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, how thankful we are that by your mercy and grace, you've enabled us one more time to be able to meet together and open your word, to read it and study it, to have Christ preach to us. Father, I pray that you bless us this morning, that you bless us with your spirit, that you would enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we beg of you that you deliver us from just going through the motions of religion. But Father, enable us to worship. Enable us to hear a word from thee. Father, I pray you'd be our teacher this morning. That you would speak to the hearts of your people. That you would be the one to teach us. Father, if you'll speak, there'll be life. There'll be faith. There'll be salvation. Speak to us through your word, we pray. And what we pray for ourselves, Father, we especially pray for our children's classes. That you would bless our teachers in this hour. Father, that you bless our children with a hearing ear. That you'd use this time to plant the seeds of faith in their heart. How thankful we are for these young ones that you've given to us. They're such a blessing to us. Father, I pray you'd watch over them. That you'd protect them. That you'd be with them. That you'd make us faithful. To always teach them who and what they are. Point them to Christ the Savior. Father, I'm so thankful for a place, a family of believers that you've given to us. Father, what a great privilege that you've given to us to to be able to meet together and worship. What a great privilege that you've given to us to, to preach your gospel, to preach your son to our generation. Father, I pray you'd make it effectual. Father, we dare not sin against thee in forgetting to pray for your people that are in times of great difficulty. Father, I pray you'd be with them. I pray you'd comfort their hearts. I pray that you'd heal, that you would show them the way, that you'd deliver as soon as it could be thy will. You cause us to, to pray for one another, care for one another, show our love and care for one another, to be a, a help to one another as we continue through this journey here below. Now, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name that precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, I've titled our lesson this morning, The Authority of the Gospel. In Mark 1, last week we looked at the Lord calling his, his very first disciples. In verse 21, and they, they after they followed the Lord, they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now we know that the Lord Jesus came to destroy the Jews' works religion, didn't he? But he still went to the Sabbath or to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now he did that, first of all, to fulfill the law that he was under. He came, he had to fulfill the law for his people. He was under that law, so he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. But he also went there because in that synagogue, That was the place where people gathered who at least had some interest in God. They had some interest in worship. 
And the Lord went there because that is where the battle for souls was being fought. Now the Lord shows up there. I mean, can you just imagine the scene on that Saturday morning? Humanly speaking, I'm amazed that the, the rabbi, the leader, whoever it was was in charge of that place would even allow the Lord to speak. Aren't you? I mean, he had to know already. Doctrinally, we do not agree. If this man teaches, he's going to say things I don't say. I'm just amazed that he let the Lord speak, but he did anyway. And that tells us something about the authority of the Lord Jesus. The Lord controlled the heart of whoever that leader was and made him willing for the Lord to speak on that particular Sabbath day. And he did that because our Savior is in control. Everywhere he went during his earthly ministry and everywhere he is now, which is everywhere, right? He's in control. He's the one that's in control and he's going to make that very obvious on this day. And he taught the people. And when he got done, the scripture says the people who heard him teach were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished because they heard something unlike anything they'd ever heard before. Now, what the Lord actually said, what his outline was, what the things that he said is not recorded for us. But I got a pretty good idea of what he taught because he always taught the same thing. Just like the Lord's Sermon on the Mount says the very same thing. The people are astonished at his doctrine. He spoke as one that had authority. Now, if you look over at Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 4, you know, the doctrine of Christ is the teaching. It's the teaching that Christ is all in salvation. And the Savior's doctrine, his teaching, was God's electing love. That's the first, that's the subject of his very first public message in Luke 24, verse 21. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He read to them out of uh, the prophet Isaiah, and all bearing witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, that they were astonished. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto, unto a woman that was a widow, a Gentile widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Nahum and the Syrian. A Gentile was healed, and none of the Jews were, that had leprosy were healed. And all they that um, in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he's in control, isn't he? But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way, and came down to Capernaum. Now I know what the Lord taught there in Nazareth, and I just bet you, when he went down to Capernaum, he taught the same thing that he taught back in Nazareth. Don't you reckon? His teaching is, salvation is by God's grace. Not our works, it's by sovereign, electing, saving grace. Not man's works. God will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. Salvation is a choice. It's God's choice, not our choice, isn't it? 
and the sinfulness of these people and their sinful heritage cannot stop God's sovereign electing grace. He will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. And the people who heard the Lord preach that, they were amazed at this teaching. They said, this makes sense. Salvation by grace, by God's grace alone, without our works, that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. People heard the Lord. Now they've been, you just imagine someone's been under that Jewish law their whole life and they heard the Lord come preaching grace. And they said, that's it. I always knew I didn't keep the law well enough. I was just afraid to say so because everybody else said they did. So, you know, it's like the emperor's new clothes. I said I did too, even though I knew I didn't. This makes sense. This gives me hope. God's grace, that gives me hope. You know, when the Lord took the scripture and told them, this is what the scripture means. The people said, I see. I see. No one's ever told me that before, but I see it now. Because the Lord's the one that showed me. These folks were used to listening to the scribes and Pharisees, weren't they? I tell you what they taught. They taught a bunch of trivial, unedifying junk. All they taught was man's works. How to live, what to do. You got to do this, you got to do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And then the Lord comes. And he teaches the gospel of grace. And everything he said was meaningful. Everything he said was edifying to the soul because everything he taught was himself. (laughs) He's the subject of the gospel. He taught his work, not yours. He taught his sacrifice, not yours. He taught his grace. He taught his saving power. You don't keep yourself. He keeps you. He saves you and he keeps you by his power. His message was all Christ. And that satisfied the need of guilty sinners. All the Pharisees had to teach was the law. They never taught anything about grace. All they taught was law. They taught man's self-righteousness. And they taught that because that's all they knew. They didn't know anything else, did they? And that teaching of man's self-righteousness, that man can do something good enough, that God will, will bless him and accept him, that's a lie. And every honest person knows it's a lie. We all know. I can't do well enough to satisfy a holy God. Our conscience tells us that. And if your conscience doesn't tell you that, you know why? It's been seared with a hot iron. God's just turned you over and given you what you want. Otherwise, our conscience tells us, I don't do good enough. I can't do good enough. And then the Lord came preaching truth. That salvation is by grace. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Christ took those scriptures of the law and he explained them. He explained how they pointed sinners to trust in him. That's what he did. The Lord taught salvation by grace. It's all in him. It's not in our works. And that was that's the only way a real sinner can be saved. Isn't it? The only way a real sinner can be saved is if somebody else saves them. Now, if somebody else redeems a guilty sinner, that's grace. That's the only way a real sinner can be saved. And the people were amazed to hear that. They were amazed. They are astonished. And I'm sure they were thrilled to hear that too, don't you reckon? Now, it might be kind of hard for, for most of us 
because most of us has heard the gospel many, 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 many times. But try to imagine these folks. This is the first time that most, if not all of them, had heard anything about God's grace. First time. The first time they heard anything about a message of salvation in Christ. That's all in him. It's all up to him. It's up to his doing, not yours. And they were astonished. That word astonished, it means shocked. They were shocked out of believing what they used to believe, and now they believe Christ. That word astonished also means terrified. They heard the Lord teach, and they were terrified to trust in themselves anymore. Now they trusted in Christ alone, and they were happy to do it. They were thrilled. You know, you and I have had the great, 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 great blessing, privilege, to hear the gospel preached over and over and over again, week after week after week, year after year after year. And one of my great fears is that we ever become gospel-hardened, that the gospel doesn't break our hearts anymore. It doesn't astonish us anymore because we've heard it so often that it doesn't thrill our hearts and our souls anymore. My great fear is we become gospel hardened and we can't honestly sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder. I'm astonished. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned to unclean. Salvation in Christ without our works, by faith alone, that's the most amazing message ever told. These folks were astonished. That's my prayer for us too this morning. We'd be astonished. You know, the people who heard our Lord teach, they were amazed at what he taught. But they are also amazed how he taught them. They said, this man, he doesn't teach like the scribes teach. He, he, he preaches with power. The scribes, they just, they just talk about dry, dead law. And there's no saving power in that. There's no power to comfort my soul. There's no power to edify my soul. They, they just talk about this dry, dead law. What I'm supposed to do. But there's no power in that. Tell me how to do it. I can't do it. The only power there is in the law is the power to condemn. There's no good news there, is there? There's not, nothing soul thrilling there. But the people who heard the Lord teach, they know they knew he taught with authority. Now, authority in preaching. You know, it's, it's not a, uh, a charismatic personality that just captivates people. Um, if that's the case, I'm in serious trouble. You are too. I, just, you know, I don't have that. Authority is not a big, booming, deep, Bass voice, you know, to get everybody's attention. Authority's not screaming and yelling. Um, you know, there, there's I, there's a time for that to emphasize a point in preaching. I almost never do it because it, it, it's just not my personality. That that's not authority. I have a dear pastor friend who, when he was in false religion, says he was making out his notes. He would know he had a, a weak point. He'd write out beside it, weak point, yell. <laughs> That was going to be his authority, you know. That's not authority. What's our authority 
in preaching? What's our authority in believing? It's the word of God. Our preaching comes straight from this book. I told Chris this morning, I heard on the news today, it's National Bible Day. So I determined I'm going to preach from the Bible today. (laughs) Wow. Just, I mean, that's all I got to say about it. This book is our authority. It's the only place we get in. Where do you get, where does a sinner, a guilty sinner, get the authority to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Where does a guilty sinner get the authority to come before the throne of God Almighty, before his throne of grace and beg for mercy? Where do you get that authority? The word of God. It's the word. You know, a good message is not a bunch of Calvinistic doctrines and Calvinistic uh, statements strung together. True as they may be. True preaching is taking a passage out of God's word and saying, here's what this means. Here's Christ in this passage. Here's how this passage points you to, to trust Christ. True preaching is making that obvious. And you know, that's what our Lord did. The authority of his men. Now this is the Lord of glory. And the authority of his message was the word of God. Let me show you a couple examples. Look back at Matthew chapter 5. Our Lord would quote the Old Testament scripture and then give you the true meaning of it by saying, I say, I say unto you. Matthew 17 or Matthew 5 verse 17. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. The law is in effect. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. Now sinners who can't keep the law, that thrills them. Christ came to do what I can't do. He came to obey the law for me. Then look what the Lord says, verse 20. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Lord says these scribes and Pharisees keep telling you, you've got to obey the law. You've got to obey the law. You've got to follow all these ceremonies. But I say unto you, the only righteousness there is is me, is mine. And then look what the Lord said in, in verse, um, verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, thou fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. You know, the Lord said the scribes teach you that sin is what you do outwardly. Sin is an outward thing. But I say unto you, sin is a spiritual thing. The law is a spiritual thing. Sin is what you are. You do what you do because you are sin. Sin is in the heart. And if you just desire any sin, you're guilty of it already. The Lord says, that's why I came to fulfill the law for my people. So they'd have a righteousness because they can't do it. Look down verse 28. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Look at Matt. I'm sorry. Matthew 21, verse 28. Matthew 21. Here's another example. Matthew 21. Verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Now whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when you'd seen it, repented not afterward, that you might believe him. Now the Lord told those self-righteous religious leaders, salvation is by grace. It's through God-given faith. It's not your works. It's not your outward morality. And the worst outward sinners you can think of, to them the worst outward sinners that they knew were publicans and harlots, thieves and prostitutes. Our Lord says they're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven because they trust Christ, not themselves. The Lord's graciously given them faith in Christ and they trust him. And their sins, though they're many, are forgiven. But you, the outward, hourly moral person, who insist on trusting in your outward morality, will not be forgiven because you refuse to quit trusting in your morality and trust Christ alone. Now listen, every last one of us should be outwardly moral people, moral, upstanding citizens. We absolutely should be. But don't you dare trust it. (laughs) Salvation is trusting Christ alone. Saving faith is not an outwardly reformed life. Saving faith is in the heart. It's God-given faith in the heart. It's trusting Christ from the heart. And the only sin, there's one sin that will damn a sinner. Just one. It's unbelief. Unbelief. Refusing to trust Christ. Every other sin, I don't care how vile, how heinous we think it is, it'll be forgiven. As long as that sinner trusts Christ, it'll be forgiven. And the people who heard that message, can you imagine how astonished, how thrilled publicans and harlots were to hear that message? Oh, they were thrilled. They were astonished and thrilled. The Lord preached the power of sin, the power of the law to condemn is broken by the obedience of Christ, by the sacrifice of Christ. The law has no more power to hold you and condemn you because that power has been broken by the sacrifice of Christ. It's been broken by God's grace in Christ Jesus. That was the Lord's message. And people heard him say, oh, he speaks with power, with authority. Then the Lord gave a demonstration of that power. Look at verse 23, back in our text, Mark 1. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. 
And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Now this man who was demon-possessed, I mean, just, he's demon-possessed. He's not in control of himself. The demon is controlling him. He's possessed of a demon. And he was a wicked man. He had done many unclean things. And this man with the unclean spirit, who had done all these unclean things, who's possessed of a demon, controlled of a demon, was comfortable going to the synagogue. Have you ever wondered about that? This demon was the one in control. He's the one, and this demon was comfortable taking this man to the synagogue. And you know why? Because the message being preached at that synagogue is the message of Satan. It's a message of works. Not grace, not faith, not Christ. Works. And the demon was comfortable there, wasn't he? But when Christ came in the building, nobody else knew who he was. But that demon knew who he was, didn't he? That demon knew who he was and he got real uncomfortable once Christ came in the building. And he cried, get away from me. Leave me alone. This is the son. He knows this is the Holy One of Israel. This is the Redeemer. This is the Savior. And instead of saying, have mercy on me, he said, get away from me. I don't want to hear from you. Have you come to destroy me? You know, there's no thought of mercy from the Lord, was there? The only thought was condemnation. The only reason he, the, he thought, the only possible reason that the Lord has showed up here is to condemn me. Friends, that's the result of works religion. Works religion always leaves people in fear. We always think the Lord's going to get me. He's going to condemn me. He's going to kill me. That, this, this means the Lord's going to get me. This means he's condemning me. You know, whatever it is that happens. There's no thought to beg for mercy, is there? No, we just got to ramp up our works. We got to start doing better. But there, there's no thought to beg for mercy. This man's only thought was, Lord, get away from me. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear a message of grace from you. Mm-mm-mm. Can you think of a person who's less likely to receive mercy and grace from the Lord than the person screaming, get away from me, I don't want you. We wouldn't be surprised at all for the Lord to say, all right, I'll let you have your way. He did that to the Pharisees, didn't he? The Pharisees wanted their works and he said, all right, I'll let you have your way. You're going to be condemned for it. The Pharisees said, let's move the, the crowd to, to shout away with him and crucify him and we'll be done with them. And the Lord said, all right, I'll let you have your way. And he was crucified and utterly destroyed their nation and their religion. But to this man, demon possessed, the Lord did not let him have his way. In a demonstration of his authority, the authority of the gospel, the authority that he has, in absolute power, he cast that demon out. The demon wasn't real thrilled about it. He, I know he rent the man, probably threw him down on the ground. 
But he came out because he didn't have a choice. The Lord commanded him to. That's his authority. <laughs> now that's the authority of the gospel of Christ to set the captive free. I have good news for sinners who are, are burdened down with the law, who just think they can't go another step, and just who feel so frustrated and so helpless. The law cannot hold you under its power. The power of the law is to condemn you if you break it. The law cannot hold you under that power. Not if Christ obeyed the law for you again. The law can't require anything else of you if Christ kept the law for you. It can't require one more thing of you. You're done with the law. The law can't require that you be condemned because Christ was already condemned for you. He already put your sin away. He paid the price with his own blood. His life's blood, he paid the price. He died so you don't have to. That's grace, isn't it? That's grace. You know, if the Son, therefore, should make you free, you're free indeed. You're free from the law. Free from it. You're free from the power of sin. The power of sin is the power that keeps you from trusting Christ, that keeps you from seeing Christ, that keeps you trusting in your own sinful works. The Son, He made an end of sin. It can't stop you from seeing Christ and believing Christ. Not, not, not if the Son makes you free. You're free from worry. You're free from condemnation. You're, you're free from hell. You're free. You're free. And then the Lord gives us an illustration of that. That power. Verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Well, they heard him casting out this other demon. You reckon every, every, every other people possessed with a demon came to him? You know they did. They brought all these people to him. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many. How many? I don't know. Many. They were sick of diverse different diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Peter's mother-in-law, they got to her house and she was, was sick with a fever. And the Lord healed her instantly. Instantly. And I feel safe to say he did that for every other disease that they brought to him that day. He healed them instantly. Now, you know, normally if you've got a fever and the fever finally breaks, right? And in in your, your temperature goes back down to normal, you know, you start sweating and the fever breaks. And the, now the fever, all right, fever's gone. I take my temperature, I'm 98.6 again. But you're wiped out for a few days, aren't you? Not Peter's mother-in-law. She was healed instantly. That fever left her and she instantly got up and ministered to them. Instantly, completely whole. Now that's a picture of the saving power of Christ. It's a picture of the power of grace in the soul. Salvation in Christ is instantaneous. The very moment 
that you believe on Christ, you are completely, wholly, and utterly saved from your sin. You will never be more saved than the then when you were the very first moment, the Holy Spirit gave you faith in Christ. You'll never be more saved than you were at that moment. Righteousness in Christ is instantaneous. Holiness in Christ is instantaneous. The moment you believe on Christ, you're completely holy, you're completely righteous, and you'll never be more holy. You'll never be more righteous, not even in heaven. Now the believer will grow in grace. We'll grow, grow in knowledge of Christ, but we're not going to grow in holiness. We'll grow in grace, but we're not going to grow in, in righteousness. And here's the reason why. The saving work of Christ is complete. It's complete. There's nothing left for you to do. Because Christ did it all. You don't need to make yourself more holy. He already made his people holy. He already made his people righteous. So you can't make yourself more righteous. Sinners are completely saved. They're completely righteous. They're completely holy. They're completely forgiven. Completely free in Christ. All because of what Christ has done for them. Now the people who first heard our Savior preach that doctrine, they were astonished. They were thrilled. I hope we are too. All right, the Lord bless you.